Now, Lord, we've come to the time in this service when we preach the word of the Lord. We know, God, that your word is true. Your counsel is sovereign. Lord, would you take the frailty of our humanness today and allow us to communicate spiritual truth that will feed our inner man and give strength to the hidden man of the heart. Your word said that we feed off of every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. Lord, would you let those words today be used to liberate, deliver, inform, encourage, instruct. Help us to achieve those goals in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. How fitting that they would preach or sing a song about the peacekeeper. Jesus came for for our peace. In fact, the Bible said he is our peace. And he has broken down the middle wall of partition that was between us and God, so making peace. Turn with me to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, I'll begin reading at verse 1. The Acts of the Apostles uh, should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles because the whole book is a history of how God began to achieve His purpose of spreading the gospel that would change people's lives. The Bible said, It hath pleased God that by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And of them that perish, the preaching of the cross is foolishness. But to we which are saved, somebody say we which are saved. We which are saved. It is the power of God unto salvation. Foolishness to the world. Foolishness to philosophers. Foolishness to those who would marvel at the activities of the church. Foolishness. But to God and to us, it is the power of of God unto salvation. The great commission was given to us in Matthew 28, 19, that we should go into all the world and preach the gospel. That we should bring every person into contact with this life-changing event of a sermon, a message, a fair representation of God's invitation to lost people to accept Jesus as Savior and Lord. The church's mission is still all about that great commission is to get the word of God out. We often say to every available person, by every available means, at every available time. That's our purpose, is to convey and to communicate the gospel of the Lord Jesus. The early church went about that endeavor in a very powerful and intensive way. In fact, on the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the church, there were 3,000 souls that were added to the church that very day after the sermon preached by Peter. Isn't it very, very interesting that God chose Peter to preach the inaugural sermon, the message, on the church's birthday? Peter, of all people, Peter, who always was like Ford, had a better idea. Peter was always contesting with the Lord and conflicting with the Lord and reasoning with the Lord. He was the one that spoke up when Jesus said, who touched me? It was Peter who had a logical explanation. Well, don't you realize who's standing around you? There's people all around. It's got a good answer. 
You're standing around people, huh? And you want to know who bumped into you? Peter was always the one, always the impetuous, impulsive one that acted before he really, really thought about what he was saying. And he, he made claims that he couldn't fulfill. He actually said, Lord, all of these disciples of yours will leave you and, and will forsake you and betray you before I would. I'd die for you. And Jesus looked right into his heart and said, before the cock crows, you'll deny me thrice. What an evaluation. Peter had one evaluation, but God had another. And you know, we sometimes think that getting the Holy Ghost makes everything all right. Come on. Some of us think, well, bless God, that was before he got the Holy Ghost. Once he got the Holy Ghost, praise God, he was just right on tip top. No, he wasn't. He went up to Antioch and ate with the Gentiles up there and had a good time with them. Went back down to Jerusalem and told and stood against Gentiles being a part of the church. So they went up there to Antioch to church those people that were now calling themselves Christians. And Peter began talking and Paul, the Bible said, rebuked him to his face. After he had the Holy Ghost, Paul called him a hypocrite. He said, you eat with these people. You socialize with them. You take their offerings for preaching for you. Come on, somebody. And now here you are saying they ought not to be part of the church. Well, that's ridiculous. That's hypocritical to be that way. And, you know, for those folks who would like to have Paul to pastor their church, you might ought to think about that because Paul didn't mind stepping up in an open setting just say, Peter, I rebuke you to your face. That's wrong. It's wrong for you to be hypocritical like that. Yeah, so Peter's problems weren't all solved when he got the Holy Ghost. He still had the personality that he'd always had. Amen. Some people think getting the Holy Ghost changes your personality. No, it don't. It just means you've got a comforter. It means you've got a guide. It means you've got uh, someone that will bring things to your remembrance, spiritual things that you need to remember. It means that you've got a, a, a power and enablement of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that you uh, are, are changed from a lot of the things of your personality trait. Hey, genes are strong. Who's your daddy? It matters a whole lot. Amen. When you've got those family traits. Yeah, people tell me all the time, so you look just like your daddy. You preach just like your daddy. Well, what would you expect? He's my dad. So when you act like your daddy, why should I be surprised? Well, I've got you, got you mad before I ever read the text. <laughs> Acts chapter 12. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex. The original translation says to vex the King James authorized version. In your Bible, it may say persecute because that's what he did, to persecute certain of the church. And he killed, somebody say he killed. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, it bought him some political clout. It was beneficial to him politically. He proceeded further to take Peter also. And then were the days of unleavened bread, which we know to be Passover. And when he had apprehended Peter, he put him in prison and delivered him to four 
quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto him and for him, unto God for him. Now, I want you to get the picture. We've got a showdown. Showdown. Not in Tombstone with the OK Corral, but we've got a showdown. Got a showdown in Jerusalem. The prison versus the church of the living God. Herod versus God. We've got a showdown. Who's going to win this thing? We've got, got terrible things going on, got persecution wholesale. We read about the terrible, terrible Caesarian rulers that killed Christians and blamed everything on Christians. When Nero fiddled while Rome burned, he said it was the Christians' fault, so they killed more Christians. It was sport in, in Rome to put Christians in the arena with lions and with tigers and with vicious beasts that would tear them limb from limb while Rome sat there in the, in the Colosseum and laughed and were entertained while Christians were dying and giving their life. There was a, a big knife which was a sharp blade that Christians stood on a platform and were asked to deny their faith or either go down the knife. You see... Some points in this church's history, there were people that died for their faith. There were people that it cost them their life to say, I'm a Christian. I will not deny the Lord Jesus. Polycarp stood there in the, the first century, the bishop of, of, of the church, and he stood there and he stood amidst a, a stake that they were burning him at the stake. And he made this statement to, to the Caesarian ruler. He said, the Lord has never wrought me anything but good. And he died for me, and I shall die for him. And Christians gave their, their life because they would not deny their faith in the Lord Jesus. James, that, that great leader of the church, can you imagine what it would be like if the only leader you'd ever had in the church, the strong, authoritative James, the man of wisdom, the man who always had the right answer, the man that God moved in his life, that God anointed him, that God always gave him the message to preach. He always seemed to be right on time and right on point with God. He was a prayer warrior. He was a preacher. He was a person. He was a great, great influence. But now, did you read it? Herod killed him with a sword, murdered him. And now the church has no leader. Now the church looks to Peter. You know, James, Peter, and John were what we call the inner three, right? Come on, don't go to sleep on me. I'll let you out early if you won't go to sleep. Make a deal. James, John, Peter, they were the closest to the Lord. They were the ones that he took a little further at Gethsemane, you remember. They were the ones that were most intimate with the Lord Jesus. They knew more. They were called to a higher level. They were the ones that were the inner circle. They were the ones that Jesus depended upon most among the disciples. If we, it, it said Bartholomew was killed by Herod, well, that wouldn't raise too much of a stir. But when you say James, the overseer of the church, was killed by Herod, that brings a, a, a 
panic, an anxiety to the church like they never felt before. And listen to what it says. And he saw that that pleased the crowd. So in order to buy votes, he said, well, this killing preachers is popular. This getting preachers and running them through with a sword and killing preachers, that's a great thing to do. And people seem to like that. So I'll get me some likes if I'll just kill another one. And who is next in line? But Peter. Peter, let's go arrest him. And the Bible said they sent folks and they came and arrested him and they brought him and put him in prison. And now here he sits in prison and here's the church. They've just had the death of their overseer, the death of the most prominent of all of the disciples. James, the one that stood like a rock, now has been killed. He's gone. He's no longer with us. It was similar to what Moses, when Moses was gone, the children of Israel fell on their face and wept for 40 days. Now, I like to think y'all would cry maybe four days, but 40 Forty days they wept and cried and were on their face. But then God spoke to a young man named Joshua and said, Joshua, Moses, my servant is dead. He's not coming back. He's gone. It's, it's over for him. Now, therefore, aren't you glad they're therefores? Now, therefore. Arise and cross over this Jordan. Get back to the business at hand. God has not lost leaders. God is not defunct. God is not depleted. God has got people in place that can lead his church. Amen. One person does not determine the whole success of the church. And when Moses was gone, God raised up Joshua. And Joshua led and picked up the, the task and went forth further with it. Now, James is dead. Now we've got Peter, and Peter is in prison. And can, can we just look at the church now? They're, they're, they're bereft of their leadership. They really don't know what to do. Let me tell you one thing you need to know at the outset. God's plan and God's purpose will always prevail over any action of the human hand or heart. God will always, his will, his purpose will be done through his people. He will not be defeated. Oh, it looks like James was killed. That was in the plan and the purpose and program of God. Do you believe God is omnipotent? Then he could have stopped it. Do you believe God is omniscient? He knows everything, then he knew about it. You believe God is omnipresent? Then he was there when they stuck the sword in him. Is that messing with somebody's theology? So then God knew all about it. Not only did he know about it, but he was powerful enough to have prevented it. And sometimes he does. But for James, evidently he had served the purpose. Evidently he had finished his course. Evidently he had reached the tape at the end of the race. Evidently he had come to the place that God was ready to change some things. 
And for all of us, we've got to realize that when God's purpose and God's plan comes into conflict with our purpose and our plan, we need to be obedient and say, Lord, what wilt thou have me do? God, you, you know more of this. You know the future. I don't know the future. You know all the negatives and the positives. You know all about it. You're a better advisor. You're a better counselor than I am. Lord, don't let me mess up your purpose and your plan in my life. Help me to discern your will and do your will. Not my will, but thine be done. And I'm sure James had prayed that many times. And when it came to the time that he faced death, I believe he willingly accepted that just like Polycarp did. Somehow I believe God gives people the strength and the spiritual stamina to accept God's will. Is that messing somebody up? I hope not. Because above all things, we want God's will. We want God's will. If it was up to me and my will, I'd want everybody that suffers with cancer, I'd want them healed today. If it was about my will, I'd just go out there and save everybody today, get everybody saved. If it was my will, but it's not my will. I came to do the will of him that sent me, Jesus said. And let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. The will of God is the preeminent thing in all of our lives. God is never surprised by anything. God is never caught off guard. God is never unknowing. He knows everything. This showdown that we've got. We've got a church that is praying. And I'm going to tell you, they weren't praying just pushing a little bit of air through their lips. Brother, when this church prayed in the first century, they prayed intense prayers. They prayed fervent prayers. They prayed loud prayers. Oh, yes, they were disappointed. Yes, when they got the news that James, did they pray for James? Yes. They prayed for James. They prayed for their pastor. No doubt they prayed when he got arrested. They prayed, oh, God, Please help us, God, right now. Deliver our pastor. Oh, God, help this church, Lord. We can't make it without our leader. Help us, God. God, come to the deliverance of James. Lord, get him out of that prison in Jesus' name. But he didn't. And James died and was murdered. Well, bless God, that's the last time I'll ever pray for a pastor to get out of jail. That's the last time I'll ever get up, go over there and spend hours, days, and nights over there seeking God. It shows that he don't answer prayer. He didn't answer it for James. James got killed. Now Peter's over there. You think I'm going to go over there and pray some more for Peter? I was there when we prayed for James. Come on, somebody. They refused, refused, refused to give way to that kind of thinking. I prayed for James to get delivered, but he didn't get delivered. He died by the sword. Now my pastor Peter is over there in prison, and they're telling me they're going to kill him too. But I'm going to keep praying 
I'm going to keep believing. I'm going to keep on walking in faith. I'm going to keep on saying that God answers prayer. I'm going to keep on preaching that he lives. I'm going to keep on preaching that God comes to our aid and comes to our rescue. He didn't do it for James for his own reason and his own purpose and his own plan. So I don't pray amiss. I pray if it be your will, O oh God, set my pastor Peter free from this imprisonment. Don't just draw up in a shell and say because I didn't get my way about that prayer I was praying. Because I couldn't talk God into seeing it my way. I'll not pray pray anymore. That's ridiculous. That's nonsense. We don't stop praying. We accept the will of God and we keep on believing and keep on practicing prayer. I think I hit a nerve right there because some of you may have given up on prayer. And I feel the Holy Ghost urging me to tell you right now, don't give up on prayer. Don't quit praying. The Bible said pray without ceasing. Men ought always to pray and not faint. Don't cave in. Don't throw in the towel. Don't quit. Men ought always to pray. Always to pray. Always to pray. When that church, they prayed prevailing prayers. They prayed vocal prayers, earnest, sincere prayers. Yes, they dealt with the disappointment, and they didn't know all that was going on. They didn't know all that was happening with Peter. I want you to get this point. And Peter didn't know all that was happening with the church. And the church didn't know all that was happening with Peter. In other words, there wasn't any communication back and forth between them, so they didn't know what the other was doing. I really don't know that Peter knew the church was praying. It doesn't say. I don't know that the church knew the condition of Peter. It doesn't say. All I know is they're waiting until after Easter. They're waiting until after the days of unleavened bread, and they're probably going to do to him what they gave us an example of what they do with James. You see, the Bible tells us that if we're faithful in a few things, he'll make us ruler over many. That if we're steadfast in small things, that he will enlarge the opportunity. You see, every time that there's a knock at the door, there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity. You see, God oftentimes knocks on our door. You know, I, I live in a house of door knockers. You got any door knockers at your house? I, and I know Debbie's knock. Hers are rapid and hard. I know her knock. I'd know her knock anywhere. Brian's knock is brief to the point. I know his knock. Ella Grace, hers is so soft you won't ever, she don't want to disturb anybody, so she, she's a soft little knocker. I know the knock. I know who it is because I know their knock. I know God's knock. I know when God's a knocking. Somebody said, how do you know God 
said that to you, I know his knock. How did you know that God was in telling you that? I know his knock. How do you know that God instructed you in that way? I know his knock. Praise God, I want to tell you, you can walk so close to God that you know when God is knocking. You know who's at the door. You know who's waiting on you to come to the door. And that opportunity is there. I said that opportunity is there. The house that I hope I got sold this week, it's where I used to live. They disconnected the doorbell. One of the things I had to fix about it to get it ready to go is the doorbell doesn't work. Well, dummy me, Amy, I went by and bought a new doorbell and took the new doorbell over there, climbed up on the ladder, took the face off of the one that wouldn't work, and looked at two wires. And one of them was black, one of them was white. And I stuck them to the black and the white receptacle, pushed the button, and it went, ding dong. I wonder if there's anybody sitting here today that you hadn't liked what come to your door. And you didn't like it when God sent something to your door. And you said, I'm not having that. And God said, I sent it for a purpose. It's for you good. It, it's to help you. It's to mature you. It's to bless you. And you say, well, I'm not going to that door because I'm not going to answer that. And then furthermore, I'm going to disconnect my door so you can't knock on it and you can't ring my bell because you keep bringing these things. And I tell these things to get away from me and leave me alone and you keep coming back like them rotocallers and just keep on knocking. You keep knocking, so I just disconnected your ability to knock. Hey, that's the worst thing in this world you can do with God is to disconnect his ability to knock on your heart. He said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If any man will open up and let me in, I'll come in and I'll sup with him and him with me. But you got to open the door and you got to let him in. A knock at the door. It may be a glorious opportunity or it may be the introduction of a season of struggle and pain and hardship. Did you ever stop to consider that the knock of opportunity and the knock of opposition may be one and the same? Sometimes when you open the door, you'd love to send it away. But God sends us things in our lives to help us, to mature us, to make us more experienced and more mature, and to make us better servants. But if you won't answer the door, then he just keeps standing on the outside said, why don't you let me in? The early church was beset by many challenges. And you hear me say it all the time. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. And I know there is a social gospel that's being preached now that once you accept Jesus, that everything's just going to be fine and 
and you're going to make money hand over fist and, and everybody's just going to love you and life is going to be so peaceable and so prosperous and so blessed. But you can't get away from that scripture. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But don't just stop right there. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. That works for people. That works for churches. That works for pastors. That works for members. Many are the afflictions of a pastor. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. Many are the afflictions of harvest, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Many are the afflictions of your family, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. I wish every one of us could vote this morning and say, I've got it perfect, Pastor. It couldn't be better. Nothing could be improved in my whole life. But I wish we all could raise our hand and say, yes, that's me. But unfortunately, there are things that come knocking on our door that are tough. Darius was telling me today, his dad was telling him about his grades. And I said, yeah, you had a, a mother that felt very strongly about that. He said, yeah. I said, Brother Jerry, she got married when she was 16, had me when she was 16. She said, so I've heard that sermon many, many times. You go to school, you get you an education, you make preparation for life. Why are y'all looking at me like I'm talking nonsense? But you know what he said? He said, there was an anchor in our family. He said, we all, y'all all called her Miss Annie. But said, brother, if anything was going on that ought not to be going on, said Miss Annie would shake that little crooked finger and say, that's enough of that. You got to have somebody in your life that can look you square in the eyes and say, that's enough of that. Well, they better not ever tell me nothing like that. I'll cuss them out. Yeah, and you'll get something else too. <laughs> the Bible calls a person that won't listen to instruction what? A person that won't be advised and counseled. What kind of per- what, is, what does Proverbs say about that kind of person? He's a blooming idiot. A blooming idiot who won't take counsel and won't take advice. I didn't say that. The Bible said that. That early church was beset by so many. They were led by strong leaders. And brother, they were really dealt to blow when James died. That church, that church was so much under attack. You know what? Some of you are sitting right here today wondering why the devil has given you such a hard time. Well, let me help you feel better about it. If you wasn't doing anything right, he'd be leaving you alone. If you wasn't making ground against him, then he wouldn't be turning up the intensity on you. If you weren't bothering him and his kingdom and what he wants to accomplish and tear up and steal and murder and kill and destroy, if you weren't making advances against him and his approaching, then he'd be leaving you alone. But the fact that he's turning up the pressure and the fact that it seems to be a little more intense now than it used to be is evidence of the fact you must be growing. You must be getting stronger in God. 
Because he wouldn't turn up the ante if it wasn't for you becoming better and more mature at handling him. Glory to God. You know, Romans 8 and 28 is a great verse. All things work together for good to people who love the Lord. But that works on this side of that verse as well as on the other side of that verse. Most of us see that verse and appreciate that verse after we've been through it. And we look back on it and we then say all things work together for good. But if on this side of it, on this side of the difficulty, on this side of the hardship, on this side of the sickness and the pain, on this side of the heartache and the sorrow, on this side of the loss, you can say I know that all things work together for good to people who love the Lord. On this side. Not that side, but this side. On this side. Well, let me finish by talking about Peter. We've got the church really, really praying for something that they don't know how that's going to turn out. Look at verse 6. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Sleeping, 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 bound between two soldiers, two soldiers, two chains. What are you sleeping between? The fact that he was sleeping lets me know that he had a confidence of some kind that gave him the ability to sleep. Brother, if that had been Jerry Irwin, you don't have enough Xanax, you don't have enough Ambien to make me sleep. If I was chained by two chains, sleeping between two soldiers, what are you sleeping between? What are those things so powerful in your life that they get in the bed with you? What are those things that are so confining and so binding in your life that when you lay down at night to sleep, you want to roll over on your right, but there's one over there on the right tormenting you to death. Roll over on your left side, and there's one on the left side worrying the life out of you there. What is it you sleep between? Whatever it is you're sleeping with, it's got you bound. Bound with two chains, he said. Bound with worry. Bound with dread. Bound with fear. Bound with anxiety. And the Bible said he was asleep between two soldiers and two chains. Two chains, two tied up on both sides. Bound on both sides by people that wanted him dead. Hatred. And there he was sleeping. Sleeping, sleeping. The keepers before the door kept the prison, sleeping, sleeping. I want you to get that. That don't, don't sound like Peter, does it? This, this is this Peter, you know, that's 
always been so tempestuous, always been so confrontational, always got good advice for somebody else, never himself. And suddenly now, he's asleep. This is that guy that when Jesus was on the way to the cross, uh, to Calvary, on his way to Jerusalem to be killed, he said, for the Son of God must be handed over to sinners. And said, they'll take the Son of God and they'll crucify him and they'll kill him. And, And Peter, the Bible said, took him aside and started to rebuke him. Said, whoa, 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 Jesus, we're not going to Jerusalem to do that kind of thing. My Lord, you're talking about a crucifixion. You're talking about dying. You're leading us to Jerusalem. No, no, no. No, no, no. We're not going. And now that same Peter that said, I'm afraid to die, is now saying he slept. He slept. Wow. This same Peter who said, I've had it with all this church stuff. I've had it with this religion. I've had it with this, this whole nuance. I'm going back to Bethsaida. I'm going to get my fishing boat, and I'm going back to doing what I was doing before I ever met this man who said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. That's a bunch of bunk. I'm going back to what I was doing. They're going to kill me because I'm one of the disciples. I traveled with him. I almost got caught over at Caiaphas' house. So I'm not having anything more to do with that. I'll get killed if I do. So fear of dying caused him to run away. That don't sound like this same man who is sitting here now asleep. Asleep. You mean you can sleep when the storm is on? Jesus did. Peter remembers that night too. Peter remembers that night when the storm was howling. And that night when the the thunder was rolling and the lightning was flashing and and the Sea of Galilee was a churning, churning chaos. And the Bible said they were struggling and they were straining and they were rowing and they were doing everything in the world just to stay alive because their lives were in jeopardy. And finally they realized that Jesus was lying there in the boat asleep. He learned a great lesson that you can sleep through storms if you know the will of God is for you to go to the other side. If it's the will of God for me to make it to the other side, no storm is going to sink my boat. He learned from Jesus in the hinder part of that ship that he could, he could sleep amidst all of the uh, awful things that were going on around him the Bible said he was asleep and the Bible said they woke him up and they said master master carest thou not that we perish we're going down to a watery grave we're never going to make it we've lost hope all hope is lost it's a lost cause and Jesus stood up and rebuked the raging of the wind and rebuked the violence of the water And the Bible said, and there was a great calm. And then he turned to those disciples and he said, where is your faith? Where is your faith? You know, I love to get to the heart of the matter, read it in the Greek. You know what the Greek says? It says, how did you let this situation deteriorate to this point? 
How did you let things get so out of control? How did you let things like this happen? Where is your faith? Peter learned, if I ever get in that situation again, I'm going to find a way to sleep through the storm. And while he was in that prison awaiting execution, he literally slept because he knew that if I'm in the will of God, nothing else can harm me. He learned in the Garden of Gethsemane that striking back doesn't work good either. Arrested with Jesus, they came to arrest Jesus. Judas had already planted his kiss. And they knew it was him. And here came the soldiers to arrest him. And Peter said, oh no, man, we're going to get killed here. Something's going to happen. We've got to do something. And the Bible said he drew a sword and cut the ear off of a man named, come on, Malchus. And Jesus went over and picked up the ear. You thought Mike Tyson was the only one that did stupid stuff with ears, didn't you? Jesus went over and got the ear and walked over and put it back on the side of his head and fixed it. And then he said, Peter, put up your sword. He said, this is the will of God. This is the will of God. Put your sword up. What was he saying? He is saying, you don't solve problems by retaliating. You don't take up and start cutting off body parts to remedy your situation. You may see that as the only way, but there's another way. There's a better way. And that's God's way. And that way is do my will. If you'll do the will of God, you may go through some perilous times. If you do the will of God and live the life God purposes for you, there will be times of disappointment. Because bad things do happen to good people. Unexplainable things. But if you'll hold on to the will of God and God's unchanging hand, you'll come out the winner in every situation. That's good preaching. Look at verse 7. Verse 7. Come on, Victor, and help me quit. Well, praise the Lord. I've got Connor today. What about that? Victor, Victor's doing a good job in your absence. But you're going to help me today, huh? Verse 7. And behold the angel of the Lord. You remember a sermon I preached to you not long ago about don't waste your angel? Don't you waste your angel. Behold the angel of the Lord came upon him and a light shined in the prison. Why did that light shine in that prison? Are you ready for one of Ella Grace's answers? Because it was dark. And he smote Peter on the side. <laughs> smote him on the side and raised him up saying, Arise up quickly. And what does the next say? And the chains fell off. You know what I believe? I believe if he just laid there and said, leave me alone, I believe the chains would have stayed on. 
I believe if he just laid there and said, don't worry me, don't wake me up, I'm trying to sleep, he'd have still held the chains. But when he did what the angel said do, when he obeyed and did God's word and God's will, the chains fell off. You see, for some of you this morning, all it's going to take is say, Lord, I surrender now. Make my heart your throne. Right now, God, I give it all to you. I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to do the will of God. I'm going to be found in your house. I'm going to worship. I'm going to serve. I'm going to be what I'm supposed to be, and the chains will fall off. Glory to God. And the chains fell off. Quick, get up. And as he did, the chains fell off of his wrists. Wow. Listen to this. His chains fell off from his hands. Verse 8. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. Can anybody say, So he did? So he did. The angel said, so he did. What was he doing, pastor? Cooperating. You never get anywhere fighting. You never get anywhere resisting. It's like quicksand. You just sink deeper. When he got up, he put his clothes on, and he said, cast thy garment about thee and follow me. He got dressed. Although he did not know where he was going. Why did he get dressed not knowing where he was going? Because the angel said, put your clothes on. And he was in complete submission and complete compliance to what the angel was telling him to do. He didn't know where he was going, but he put his clothes on because the angel said, put them on. Look at this verse. The chains did not come off until he got up. Some of you need to get up. Some of you have heard the word. You've heard the command, get up. You just haven't mustered the strength yet to get up. I hope this morning, before you leave this church service, you'll get up. Get up. Obedience always precedes deliverance. Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And he went and washed and came seeing. When you do what God's Word says, stretch forth your hand. When he stretched it forth, it became as whole as the other. You see, obedience and victory and deliverance, that they, they happen together. They're synonymous. Verse 9, And he went out and followed him, and he wished not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he had saw a vision. What was that? He said, I must be dreaming. I was so far down. I was so hopeless. I was so counted out. I was so lost. I was so devoid of peace. I was such bad shape. I really didn't think I could ever get out of here, but here I am. And I'm having to pinch myself to make sure I'm not dreaming. Have you ever had God to do something for you so powerful? So wonderful that you had to pinch yourself to say, am I dreaming this? I want to tell you, God can make your dreams come true. And it all comes because of one key, and that key is obedience. And he went out and followed him, not knowing that which was true, but he saw a vision. He had to follow. 
Why? Because that was the next step. And all you do to get deliverance is keep taking the next step, the next step, the next step, and the next step. You don't live for tomorrow. You take the steps you need to take today. You don't live for next week or next month. You take the steps that you need to take today. Today, this is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in this day. Verse 10. Now I want to tell you there are a lot of prisons. There are prisons of addiction. There's prisons of emotional pain. There's prisons of anger. There's prisons of domestic relationships. There are all kind of prisons. Loneliness, despair, despondency, all of those. They can make you feel like you are bound and in a prison. When they were past the first and the second ward, they came to the iron gate that led to the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And when they went out, they passed on. Somebody say they passed on. Through one street and forth with the angel departed. Now then the angel's gone. Now then the one that, uh, that kicked me and woke me up is gone. Now then I'm, I'm, I'm on my own to make some choices. Where am I going? What am I going to do? And he said, I tell you what. I think I'm going to go over to Sister Mary's house. If there's a prayer in my church, Peter said, it'll be at Sister Mary's house. If there's anybody that can touch God, they'll be at Sister Mary's house. If there's anybody in this church that values prayer and unceasing prayer and prevailing prayer, it'll be at Sister Mary's house. Hey, do you believe people that are in trouble know where to go? Do you believe that people who need help from God know where to find it? Do you believe that people who are despondent and in despair know where they can find a God who cares, a God who heals, a God who delivers, a God who, who does marvelous and miraculous things? Glory to God. And when Peter was come to himself, when he decided, I'm not dreaming, I'm really, really living this, he said, now I know of a surety that the Lord sent his angel and delivered me out of the hand of Herod. Who won the showdown? Oh, don't be timid. Who won the showdown? God. God won the showdown. God can do what no other power can do for you. God opened the gate for Peter, but, and he walked right through it. You can stand and wait if you like, but God wants you to go through it. You can make a, a pause in the middle of it, but God said go through it. You can halt and look at it and gawk at it, but God said go through it. Get up and go through it. He realized I've got to make a decision. And the Bible said he would come to himself. He said, I know of a surety the Lord hath done this. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together. And as Peter knocked on the door, a damsel came named Rhoda. Sometimes we knock at a door that we've knocked on a lot of times. But we didn't go in because we didn't find what we wanted. Some people go their whole life knocking on doors. Some people chase dreams and chase 
things that's not reality, illusions, and knock on a lot of doors. And they lock on, knock on doors that disappoint them. Doors that hurt them and bring them pain and sorrow in knocking on doors. When Peter knocked on that door, the little girl was so overwhelmed. The same thing happens every time. God helps us when we knock on right doors. Peter went and knocked on the door where prayer was wont to be made. There was a fire in that house. I said, that house was on fire. Glory to God. That fire was in Sister Mary's house. And the Bible said she ran in. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, you have lost your mind. Have you ever been praying for something and God did it? And people said, you've lost your mind. You went and tried to tell somebody a miracle just happened. Oh, you, you're, you're off your rocker. You can't believe what God just did for me. Oh, you're just excited. You're a little off the deep end, you know. You're always kind of out there. You're a, you're a door knocker by habit, you know. But brother, when somebody knocks at the door that really makes a difference in your life and you tell somebody, don't be surprised if they say you were just dreaming. You were just dreaming about that. You're mad. You've lost your mind. You've lost your mind. And they said to her, thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was so. And then they said, well, it's not him because he's in prison. Now can you imagine these people have been praying Praying, praying. And the answer comes knocking at their door. And they can't believe it. Maybe an angel, but it's not Peter. You know, sometimes the most spiritual of people can rationalize away miracles of God. Sometimes we can just talk ourselves out of something God is doing in our life. Stand with me so you'll think I'm dismissing. I like verse 16. But Peter continued knocking. They called her mad, called her crazy, but Peter kept knocking. But he beckoning unto them with a hand holder peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go and show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Now as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers what was become of Peter? Is this the time, John, Don, when they sent some soldiers over to check and see if the prison was still, still had them? Still got them? And they came back and said, The prison truly found we there, but the people we had inside it have disappeared. Now, I don't know about you, but if my employer that pays my salary told me to go and get some people he'd locked up in prison, and I came back and he asked me, where are they? And I said, I don't know. And he said, well, what, what did you find? I said, well, I didn't find them. They weren't in the prison. Is that the best excuse you can give? They just weren't there? The Bible said there was a great stir among those soldiers. One of the greatest things we've got going for us as believers in the Lord Jesus is the miracle working power of our God.
He does things that just can't be explained away. He does things so minutely that you just can't explain it any other way. I love the way he does things that are unexplainable. I lay awake sometimes before I go to sleep at night and I watch that, the unexplained files, NASA's files. Unexplained. Unexplained. In other words, they don't know what it was, they just know something happened. And that's the way the world looks at the church, the way they should look at the church. I don't know how, all I know is it happened. Like that church when that blind man came back. Are you the blind man that sat by the road? I'm he. Well, wasn't you blind? Yes, I was blind. What happened? A man named Jesus anointed my eyes and made clay and said, go wash. I went and washed and I came and said, well, don't you know he's a sinner? Whether he be a sinner or not, I don't know. All I know is I once was blind, but now I see. You see, for the world, the world just never can explain the miracles of God. The great miracles of God. The great miracles of God. One of my One of my great friends, one of my mentors for many, many years, pastored the Alabama City Church for a long, long time. Brother E.J. Reynolds had a daughter. She got 16, ran away from home, couldn't find her, looked for her everywhere, had everybody in the world looking for her, couldn't find her. One Sunday morning, Billy, he got up to go to his pulpit to preach, and he was knelt by his couch, and he said, God, I cannot go to my pulpit this morning and brag on a God that does all things when I can't find my daughter. She's been gone for years. Please, God, help me find my daughter. He said, the Lord knocked. Ever had the Lord to knock? He said, go to your telephone, get an overseas operator, call Wendy's in Barcelona, Spain. He went to the phone, got an overseas operator, said, I want you to connect me to Wendy's in Barcelona, Spain. Got the connection. Man answered the phone. He said, this is Wendy's. He said, this is E.J. Reynolds in Alabama. He said, I'm looking for my daughter. Is there a blonde-headed girl there named Rhonda? He said, no, there's nobody here but me. He said, I'm the manager of this place, and I'm just here early to open up. So there's nobody here. He said, well, would you just go outside and look outside and see if there's a blonde-headed girl there named Rhonda. He said he went to the door, looked down the street, and down the sidewalk came a tall, lean, blonde-headed, blue-eyed girl. And he said, is your name Rhonda? She said, yes, my name's Rhonda. He said, your daddy is on the telephone and wants to talk to you. Now, Rodney, there ain't a way in the world that that can be explained away except God had to come knocking. I said God had to come knocking. God had to come knocking. A little old pastor in Tokyo, Japan. His last name was Yatsuzuka. Yatsuzuka had a boy in the American hospital that was about to die and needed surgery. He had no money. A pastor in Atlanta, Georgia was preaching one Sunday morning and the Lord spoke to him and said, take up an offering for a man named Yatsuzuka. He stopped his sermon, handed out the plates. They went and took the offering. 
It was over $1,000 at that time, some few cents. Sent it to headquarters in Cleveland the next morning. They sent it to Hong Kong, Hong Kong on to Tokyo. He got a cable mark from that pastor, Yatsuzuka in Tokyo. I've preached for him in Tokyo, Japan. He said, thank you for obeying God. Said the amount of your check was the exact to the penny amount that the operation cost to save my son's life. And see, the thing is, I can tell you those stories all day long, but the point is, there is a God in heaven, and that God knows who you are, and He knows what you're going through, and He knows what's on, what you're sleeping between, and He knows what's tormenting you, and He's saying to you today, there can be freedom from your bondage. It comes through obedience. Pray with me, God, in Jesus' name. God, in Jesus' name, I come to you just as I am. You know my heart. You know my life. You know my getting up and my sitting down. You know all about me. And in Jesus' name, right now, I surrender. Make my heart your throne. Right now, in Jesus' name, be Lord of my life. I will obey you. I will live for you. I will honor you. I will worship you. I will praise you. You are my God. You are my Father. And I am your child. And in Jesus' name, take control of my life. I live it for your honor. In Jesus' name. And I now declare my freedom from every oppression, every bondage, every chain, every restraint. In Jesus' name, I'm free. Thank God. I'm free. Woo! Thank you, God. Come on, thank you, God. Come on, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. He whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Thank you, God. I'm free. Free, 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 free. I'm free. Thank God I'm free. Praise God by His grace I'm free. Because of His blood I'm free. Praise His wonderful name. Thank you, Jesus. God, I thank you for what we felt here in this house today. Thank you for the anointing of the Spirit of God. Thank you for the strength to preach this message. God, go with us from this place of worship in complete submission to your will. We pledge ourselves, God, to walk in your purpose and walk in your plan. Dismiss us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen.